0: Well thank you very much David that was uh an excellent presentation and you know uh, I'll speak for myself at least I, I feel like uh, I, I take so much of this for granted because like you said we a lot of times we just don't care about the history that that doesn't involve us you know right. and a lot of times I know I still have you know the bible that you know my parents or grandparents or whoever gave me and uh I know for a lot of us you know that was that was the book you know and anything lot of times, anything beyond that, then uh, we we don't really like to think about or talk about. But there is a whole world of this, and so thank you for going over that and um, and bringing these things to light. So we'll open it up to questions uh, here tonight, and starting with Matt Kuberna, and then Shahid.
1: Thank you, brother. That was excellent, and I learned I learned a lot. There are, there are instances, and I'm, I'm barren for examples, but there are instances in the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Deuteronomy, where there are, there are Chaldean, Babylonian words that appear in the text that probably would not have been in the, in the original copy of, of that text. And a lot of a lot of that language would have probably crept into hebrew in the post exilic period when nehemiah and ezra were translating and compiling those uh, those books for for the people of that time my question would be you know, how how did those words get in there how how can we know that those texts existed prior to that period And and what do we know about those translations?
2: Well, your question is a question about Old Testament textual criticism, of which I know very little. Uh, One of these guys might be able to fill in some blanks here. I believe that uh, McGarvey's book on Deuteronomy addresses some of that, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I Forget the title. Does anybody remember McGarvey's book on Deuteronomy? Anyway, Mark McGarvey in the late nineteenth century, 18th, late nineteenth century, uh, when those kinds of issues, like you mentioned, were being uh, put into great focus by the German scholarship, McGarvey wrote a lot in in response to a lot of that. So we, there's some great old resources about that. I'm sorry, I can't really. You know, I think I could venture a, an answer, but I don't want to hear. And it's because I don't want to make, make a, a wrong statement and lead somebody astray. I, I, I have an idea how to answer your question, but I don't. I'd rather not. If I may dismiss that question. Sorry. Authorship of Deuteronomy. Authorship of Deuteronomy. Yes. Shocked.
0: Thank you, David. That was great. I, I enjoyed it. And um, appreciate you so much for stepping in to fill our time slot this week. You talked a little bit about the controversy about Jerome's uh, update of the old Latin and the new approach that he took. I wonder in the, some of those other early versions, maybe Coptic or Assyriac or some of the other early versions, were there similar controversies? Was there resistance? to making the Bible more widely available to people in various dialects and languages and regions, and how might those controversies maybe have impacted the spread of translations from region to region?
2: Yeah, um, I guess I should have said at the beginning, uh, I, in fact, I had it in my mind to say this, and I, I, I forgot it. Uh, I was just going to kind of make a joke out of it, but it's not totally a joke that What you see on these slides and some of this is just about everything I know about this subject. (laughs) (laughs) But I know that in like there's uh, in the Syriac there are different versions in the Syriac. and I don't know how much they really know about what, why those versions exist. In some cases they don't even really know for sure. I put a nice clean chart up here with a this century, that century, that century, but some of these is a guess, even on the part of scholars, as to when they came into existence. So I'm not going to be able to you make two two cases here. I'm not going to be able to give a really good answer to that question. Uh, Number one, in his case, I don't know Hebrew textual criticism of the Old Testament. In your case, I don't know if there's that much information known about it, much less that I know. I mean, if you, if you read, um, if you read uh, Metzger's book on the Restoration, t- New Testament, the text of the New Testament it's Restoration, Corruption, and whatever the title is exactly. Uh, he has a few pages, several pages in there on this, but each one of these is only about a little paragraph or two, you know. And I suppose someone who's a real gothic, Manuscript scholar could give you lots of information about that, but I don't know how easily it is accessible. So, boy, sorry. If you'd ask me before Sunday night, I might have some answers <laughs> to these questions.
3: That's great, David. Uh, two things. When I read about the Peshitta, is that a st- version of syriac
2: oh yes yeah
3: yeah okay so in the translation controversy that we mostly went through 25 years ago or so it you read uh in various books about uh the kjv only controversy and books like that that jesus quoted about 80 or 85 percent, I think it depends on who's doing the counting, from the Septuagint, but sometimes he quoted from the Hebrew, and sometimes he apparently translated a passage himself a few times. And that argument is made to indicate that Jesus approved of translations, and even modern translations, meaning the Septuagint. Is that a valid argument?
2: That he quoted from that?
3: That he quoted from it that, that much, and that that means he approves of translation
2: from one language to another. Well, I've always thought that it, that it does. Um, otherwise, I, I mean, it is kind of the, the fact that the apostles quote, quote it so much and they're putting the words in the mouth of Jesus, not that I'm saying they report something different than Jesus said, but Jesus didn't, You know, well, we don't know for sure, but most, uh, as, as far as I know, most people think Jesus was preaching in Greek, or excuse me, Aramaic, because you've got all those little tamatha kumi and Eli sabachthani and all of that. And then they translate it into Greek, which is to say this, so if Jesus is preaching in Aramaic, then He's well, I, what we're talking about here is two layers of things Jesus is preaching, and then the apostles reporting of it. And they're putting, they're using, they may be using a trans, you know, I can't think of a good instance or a good example where they're using a translation to express what he said.
3: But in general, both of them together do what they do does approve of the concept well, yeah. of translation from one language to another, yes. and more modern or up-to-date translations.
2: Yes. Well, I yes,
3: sure I believe enough. that, too. I just was asking somebody who knows more about it than I do, by far.
2: Well, I, think they, I think they do. I, surely it does. In fact, if, if not, we're all going to have to learn some Greek and Hebrew, uh, you know. And the Daniel passage, which I could have closed with, you know, it says all peoples, nations, and tongues, languages, tongues, you know.
3: You know, sometimes Jesus did quote directly from the Hebrew because presumably he didn't think the Septuagint translation was accurate enough, and so he did quote from the Hebrew, which might indicate we do need some people like you who know something about Greek and well, you said you don't know much about Hebrew, but anyway, <laughs> Hebrew also.
0: Thank you, brother. I enjoyed the history. I love history, anyway. So, and I love history of the of the Bibles. Um, can you comment briefly at what about what level of confidence we can have in our modern English translations?
2: Oh. Well, that's a broad question, but I I would say that we can have a a great deal of confidence. Uh, And I studied the Bible for years, and then along the way I had the opportunity in college to – I went to college a little later. I didn't go right out. I got out of high school. It's a good thing I didn't. I probably would have flunked out. But uh, I went a little later, and I had the opportunity to take Greek, and uh, one fellow a member of the church was taking Hebrew, he was younger than me, he was college age, I was in my early thirties. And he said, let's take Hebrew, or let's take Greek. And I said, I think it's classical Greek. He said, we want to take Koine Greek, New Testament Greek, and they don't have that here. So I took it anyway. And I was hooked in the first week. And the reason I was is because it was immediately obvious within the first week, that I could recognize things that I knew from just my sort of studying it along and the more I went the more I worked with it the more I could see that you know even though English expresses the word of God in a, in a completely different form grammatical structure it's communicating the same thing now some translations do better than others And some translations do better in some places than others. I don't think you take a translation and just because it gets something wrong over here that you just throw the whole thing out. Because there are places uh, some of the most infamous translations uh, do an excellent job in some places. And the best thing to do well the best thing to do is, is study Greek, but I know everybody don't have the time to do that and don't have the motivation. But Translations, you get a few good ones um, and compare them. They're tools. They're windows of insight. They're, they're uh, an access into a part of the, you know, whatever word part you're looking at, that part of the word of God that someone who does know the language knows uh, what's there and is communicating it as he understands it or as they understand it. And so if we we've got all this material I mean it's amazing the time we live in we've got all these translations I don't think all of them are great and we don't need all of them but four or five good ones and I can recommend them to you to compare and contrast there there's no way that we can miss the truth so I'm I'm fully confident I'm more confident tonight in that fact than I was 30 years ago and it's not because it's improved it's because I just understand it better than I did then. So
0: what would you say to Augustine regarding the Septuagint's <laughs> superiority over the Hebrew text if you were Jerome?
2: Well I suppose there's probably a response letter. I know they exchange letters, but I don't I don't haven't I don't know what it is, but uh but uh I guess I would make the case to uh, to to Jerome or to, uh, yes, Jerome oh, to Augustine. You want me to respond to Augustine, yes. I would basically say what I just said tonight that, you know, the apostles did not write in Hebrew the Septuagint as valuable and as great a contribution as it made is a human work and is not perfect. And I would rather see the Old Testament translated directly from the original and grapple with whatever apparent discrepancies that may bring into focus than I would to have an extra translation between my translation and the original that it came from. Now, unlike Jerome and especially Augustine, I wouldn't need to write 40 volumes today to say that. <laughs>
3: In response to, I think, Michael's comment a while ago about how much confidence, this is a little bit of a dated statement, but I still think it's true. Sir Frederick Kenyon said that we need to give people confidence that when they pick up a Bible, they are holding the Word of God in their hands. And we do need to understand all these things that you're teaching and showing us and and about and grapple with some of the difficulties it might bring up but we want to give people confidence also that when they pick up a bible they have the word of god himself in their
0: hand
2: Mm -hmm. amen to that and I i believe they do
0: i do have a have a question um you know sometimes in uh, you had an example, or a couple examples, actually, of when you're reading along in the in the New Testament, and it'll be quoting a an Old Testament verse, and you go back to our Old Testament, our English Old Testaments, and it'll look different from the one in that we see in the New Testament. The quote will. Uh, I think there's a couple quotes. I may be thinking of the wrong passages, but my mind is telling me Hebrews one and maybe Romans three where it's more than just wording that's off but it's actually like a couple of verses or uh, a whole another set of information there um that they're quoting that isn't present then in the old Hebrew text that we read. So do you know why that is is were their manuscripts back then for the Septuagint a little bit better that they used that can we have confidence in in the the Hebrew you know text that we have now. Uh, how, how does that happen? Or, or what's, do you know the reason for that?
2: Well, you know, that would all depend on the particular passage, I guess, yeah. uh, you know, as to what, you know, what the dynamic is going on there. But, uh, you know, I'm of the opinion that if the apostles quoted it or wrote it, even if it's not a quote, it's going to be inspired of God. When they write it. Mm-hmm. And whether it matches what's in the Septuagint or not is kind of irrelevant to me. Because I think sometimes, you know, there are places where, uh, and I don't know if you want to call it accommodative language or whatever, but where the apostles don't seem to be directly quoting from either the Hebrew or the Septuagint. But they're, you know, speaking by inspiration nevertheless. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ephesians 4, where Christ gave gifts to men, that passage he quotes from Psalm 68, I, I shouldn't be saying that because I can't remember all the details, but, but uh, uh, you know, to, to really answer that question, I need to look at a specific passage and say, okay, here's what this is and here's what that is, but, but uh, you know, I, it, it, that, I understand how that kind of thing shakes people's faith, sometimes it shakes their confidence maybe is a better word but uh, the more I look at those kinds of things the, the less that that troubles me it does it, it you know, I'm, I've got confidence in, in what we have in our Bible
0: mm. um, would you also say that I think the example you had up there as far as um, talked about the Gentiles and I think in in the other it had something about coastlines I, I forget exactly what it said um, I haven't taken any Hebrew, but what I have heard is that the semantic range on a lot of those words are very broad. Uh, could, be. could that contribute yes, a little? Yes,
2: absolutely. Okay. Yeah. What
0: and he's have- saying
2: is the meaning of a Hebrew word could be wide enough. That com- the, the range of meanings could be wide enough that you could use one Greek word on this end of the range or another Greek word on that end of the range and it sound like two different things, or not exactly the same thing, but it's still translating the same word.
0: Any other questions or comments? Sure. If there's somebody else,
3: that's last, last
0: yeah.
3: You know, yeah. in that passage that you gave, David, about the difference between Gentiles and coastlands. Now, I'm just thinking off the top here, but coastlands—if you're talking about the Mediterranean coast—that would include. That would be. Yeah. The semantic range mm-hmm. would be the Gentiles.
2: Yes, I meant to kind of touch on that a little bit I skipped on past it but the coastlands I don't want to repeat what you just said but the, the the Gentiles is the nations and in the Mediterranean the coastlands are all these different peoples of all different nations and so in 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 the in the meaning in the words are not exactly the same but the meaning is communicating the basic general the same idea
0: yeah well brother do you have any closing comments you'd like to make
2: Oh, nothing other than thanks again for the opportunity, and I think. And, uh, <laughs> and no, seriously, I appreciate it. And um, I hope we've said some things tonight beneficial. I know this is a little different maybe, but uh, hopefully it's been beneficial. And my whole point, again, is you know, the providence of God in, in the, in the advancement, advancement of the word and fulfillment of prophecy from Daniel. Uh, the fact that the word of God is in all these languages now for all of these long centuries. I believe, says something about the fulfillment of that prophecy. Only one aspect of that prophecy, but indeed a fulfillment of at least part of it. And so I want to impress upon you tonight that that fact and the the providence of God and the fact that we have the word of God with us here yet now all these centuries later in English. Mm -hmm. So thank you.